Welcome to the FI Podcast, the place where we speak about all things accounting. I'm Dave Malthouse. And I'm Ben Bournemouth. From balancing the books to finding a balance in your life, we've got it all covered. So whether you're here for accounting insights, career advice, or looking after yourself while preparing for your exams, you're in the right place. We hope you enjoy this episode, and if you do, please leave us a rating and review. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the First Intuition Student Podcast. My name is Ben Bullman, and I'm joined this evening by my good friend and colleague, David Malthouse. Good evening, Dave. Hi there, Ben. Um, and how's this week treating you? Um, this week's going really, really well. I've been in the classroom quite a bit, teaching something I know close to your heart. I've been talking to students about frozen yogurt. I've been teaching tax processes, the level three unit, covering quite a lot of VAT. Yep. We've been talking about the different things that we maybe buy that are at different rates of VAT. Dave, I'm sure you are well aware if you go and buy frozen yogurt to eat yep. frozen as a substitute for ice cream, you would pay standard rated VAT. Right. If you bought regular yogurt from the fridge that you were going to eat in its more liquid form, that would be zero rated. With me so far? Yeah, with you at the moment. So regular yogurt, zero rated. You buy it frozen, mm-hmm. it is standard rated, unless unless you buy frozen yogurt with the intention to then thaw it out and eat it as regular yogurt, then it goes back to zero rating. Right, okay. All makes sense so far, Ben. So um, we've been having having some fun and games in class with regards to should we buy our frozen yogurt and eat it frozen. Um, I usually talk about Jaffa cakes, but the class wanted to move on from Jaffa cakes, so we've been looking at some other um interesting tax rates. So my, my 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 guess there, Ben, is that in in a similar way to serving food hot, you're applying a process to the food in order to make it ready to eat. So you are heating food up so that someone can eat it hot. And you're doing a similar thing, just kind of the opposite way temperature-wise. You're taking a product and you're chilling it, so it's, or you're freezing it, so it's ready to eat at that temperature. So I'm guessing it's something to do with applying a process to it, or are you going to tell me that it just qualifies as an ice cream and ice cream is always standard rated? No, I think it's the the intended state of it at the point of consumption. That's the key point, right. isn't it? This goes back exactly right to what was branded in the, the media as the pasty tax mm-hmm. when it was we would charge VAT, standard rated usually on hot serve food if people were going to conserve, consume it hot. If you're lucky enough to go into the bakers, though, and get the bread just as it comes out of the oven, you buy it hot, but your intention was not to eat it hot. It was going to cool down. And that's where I will name them Greg's, but other bakeries were slightly debating the sausage rolls and the pasty tacks at the point of, are they being served hot or are they actually being served fresh from the oven? But the intention was people would buy them and they would cool down to eat. Yeah, so it's, I think the rule is that anything that is designed to be eaten frozen, that's sold frozen, is standard rated. Yeah. So that would be ice lollies, ice creams, cornettos. If if you ate frozen sausages, um, then that would also that would also be considered to be standard rated. I imagine. 
Yes, but if you bought them frozen with a view to then thaw them out before yep. you consume them, that would be usually zero rated. Yeah, yeah. There we go. The wonderful world of tax. But you've had an interesting week as well. I saw some pictures of you in London earlier this week, Dave. Yeah, it's National Apprenticeship Week, Ben. So I have um, been every day doing something different for National Apprenticeship Week. So today I was in um, I was in lovely Saffron Walden, which I know is kind of on the border between Cambridgeshire and Essex, um, attending a school. And I took one of our apprentices along and there was a panel of apprentices who talked to some year 12 students all about the wonderful world of apprenticeships. The day before that, Tuesday, I was up bright and early and I was near Romford at about 20 past eight in the morning to deliver an assembly to a group of year 10s all about apprenticeships. And then on Monday, I was in London, as you said, and I visited um, the House of Commons um, because we are finalists in a um, in the National Apprenticeship Awards. We are shortlisted. We are down to the last two um, for Apprenticeship Provider of the Year for Legal and Finance Apprenticeships. So Monday was at the announcement that we'd made the shortlist and we got a lovely certificate and we were given it, we were treated to some food in the surroundings of the House of Commons. Um, and we have the final in about a month's time. In fact, it's less than that. It's about two weeks time. We um, we travelled to Birmingham for uh, a gala dinner to find out if we if we clinched the big prize or if we ended up in second place. So either way, it's brilliant to be to be one of the last two left standing in that particular category. Um, and hopefully we'll take home the big prize um, in a couple of weeks time. Brilliant. Yes. Good luck to everybody involved in that. We will hopefully announce it on the podcast if we do win. And Ben, have you have you ever been to the House of Commons? I have actually. Before I was a tutor, I got invited by one of my clients, a big charity. So I did actually go. I got a tour. I got a chance to sit in the, the viewing gallery and watch yeah. a debate happening. And then I went and had some nice food and refreshments on the terrace. It is a phenomenal building and it's almost like its own little town inside. They've got everything internal yep. there. Lots of little rooms with all sorts of meetings and discussions going on. Lots of bars and places to get food as well. Yeah, we, uh, the things that because when when I when I went in, we went into the um, the big Westminster Hall, which is where the the Queen lay in state um, after she died last year. Um, and I remember going in. I went in there. It's like it's that place off the telly where everyone had to queue to get in and it is vast it's it's a really big open space um kind of and you forget that you're away from that you're so close to the hustle and bustle of central london and you're suddenly in this big open space um i went to the central lobby i had to queue there to get onto the terrace where they did the um the presentation and i actually spoke to someone in the queue and i said well we've come from through there which is the big westminster hall we're now going straight over to the terrace what are in the doors to the left and the right and they just said oh, that's really easy. Uh, it's the House of Commons on one side, the House of Lords on the other side. And I didn't realise how close those two were. And I think that for me, it's never really something that you see kind of in TV. Um, whereas in American programmes, you know, kind of, you know, where Congress is and the House of Representatives, and you always think that, you know, Capitol Hill seems to be spread out a lot more. But in, in, in the UK and London, everything is so close together that, you know, the House of, you could accidentally turn the wrong way and be sitting on the wrong colour benches if you're not careful. 
Did you see any famous politicians? Well, I I think I did, but um, uh, there was a, a, a rather tall man that walked past me and behind him was an even taller man who I think was a parliamentary aide. And from the sides, I, I looked across and I thought, I think that's Jacob Rees-Mogg. And then I thought to myself, or it could be John Redwood because the two of them look quite similar. And because I saw it as a flashing, like a flash that went straight past me, I, I can't confirm exactly which of them it is, but I think it was probably one of them um, because I have, I have met with one or two members of parliament in the past and you can kind of tell the, that they're MPs because they have this little entourage of a few helpers that are with them, someone to carry their papers and keep them briefed on the next meeting they're going to. So I'm pretty sure it was an MP. As I say, it looked to me like it might have been a Rhys Mogg, but it could quite easily have been a John Redwood. It was de definitely that kind of very, very thin, tall, kind of side-parted glasses kind of look to them. We have got our theme listeners for this evening's episode. It was suggested to me by one of the team. I will name him Aaron. Unfortunately, he can't join us this evening, but hopefully you're listening back, Aaron, and we um, do the session that you asked us to. We get a lot of discussion around etiquette in the modern business environment. Dave, you've mentioned Apprenticeship Week. Not every apprentice is in the early stages of a job. But the vast, vast majority are, and a number of our students are maybe looking for roles or working for the first time in a professional finance environment. So I've been asked if we could talk a bit about etiquette, trying to share some examples, some stories, things for people to be aware of when they are at work, but also maybe in the, the wider business community. Dave, what... What's your thoughts on etiquette? Do you think it's still as relevant today as it possibly was when you joined a professional firm of accountants however many years ago? Very polite of you to not quote the number of years, Ben, because um, they would be ageing me quite considerably. Um, yes, it is important. And I think any anyone that, that says that it isn't is probably kind of misleading themselves a little bit um it is very important because it's how you act around other people and the way you act around other people the way that you're perceived by other people is going to have an impact on how you progress within the workplace um and you could argue that you won't necessarily get ahead through having really really good etiquette over someone else but if you have very poor etiquette, that's definitely going to hold you back. So I, I think that you know, being very, very polite, conscientious and doing the right kind of things all the time may not get you ahead. But doing the wrong things all the time and being rude and not being respectful, that's something that definitely will hold you back. So, yeah, I, I always think about this stuff as being standards of socially acceptable behaviour. And, yeah. and clearly over time things evolve and maybe what was socially acceptable when me and you started is now slightly different in the, the modern business environment, but there still are expected norms. There is uh, an expected culture within the professional finance environment. And this is a way to think about yourself, but also be aware of the others around you. Exactly right, Dave. 
we, we were having a chat before we came on air tonight. Um, it is Apprenticeship Week and in the world of education, the UK government talk about promoting the British values. There are four of them, but the two that really sprang to mind when we were discussing it was individual liberty. I'm sure you'd agree, Dave, we are not saying everybody has to be a carbon copy. I think if we went back maybe 30, 40 years ago, the stereotypical image of an accountant, what, what would you expect an accountant to appear and present as? Well, I'd expect them to be wearing a suit and tie and obviously a shirt with that, not just a suit and tie, because that would be a bit weird. Um, and I would expect them to be polite. I'd expect them to be very knowledgeable. I, I would almost expect them to be speaking in a language that's almost incomprehensible to normal people, but very much in their own terms. But yeah, that's what I tend to think about in terms of in terms of the way an accountant would come across. And I think there are still some of those tropes that that live with us today that people kind of almost expect you to be a certain way when they hear you're an accountant, and sometimes are a little bit surprised if you look and sound any different. Yes. Um, but but we see more and more, I think, the encouragement of people showing an element of their own personality, not being a clone, but actually having something that differentiates them. That means they are, are confident to share their own personality at work in the professional environment. But the other one of the British values that resonated was mutual tolerance and respect of other people. And I think that is the essence of etiquette, isn't it? It is knowing that you can be yourself, but you've also got to be self-aware of the others around you, the others you work with. And for us, the others, people that would be in the, the classroom environment alongside you. Yeah, I, I agree. It's, it's you, you kind of it's like when we talk about about free speech, you absolutely have the freedom to say, you know, whatever you want. But that doesn't give you freedom from the consequences of the things you say. So, yes, you've got the freedom to say something that may offend another person, but that doesn't mean you're free from the repercussions if you speak to someone in an unkind or rude manner. So it's exactly the same you know, in terms of etiquette. If you're, you've got the freedom to behave in any way you see fit, but you don't have the freedom to not have any consequences for the way that you act. And that, that ties up to two things, this thought of respect, respect for yourself, but respect for other people. And also in the professional world we're in, the ethical principles, particularly thinking about the one around professional behaviour, the expectation yep. of the AAT, the ACCA, the ICAW, the professional bodies, your employer as an accountant. We have got to be, be mindful of that, both in action and in perception, how other people would perceive our behaviour representing our employer, our institute and also first intuition as, as, as a potential training provider. So I've thought about a few areas that we could maybe have a chat around, sharing our own experiences, our own thoughts, what we think. Um, shall we start with appearance? Something I think about quite a bit. Um, we can start with dress. I still panic from time to time. Am I wearing the right thing? Am I going to look too scruffy? Am I actually potentially overdressing? Dave, where where do you sit on that one with regards to, to, to you get out and about a bit? You meet lots of people. Are you mindful of what you're wearing? Yes, um, I'm a lot more confident now than I was 20 years ago. Um, I always think that for, for people that are new, 
and that are just stepping into a fresh workplace and they're, they're beginning to build relationships at work, I, I would always be trying to almost mirror the kind of style of dress that we're going into. So we were joined well over a year ago now, Ben, or actually probably was about a year ago by Rachel Harris from Accountancy. And she explained that in her firm, it was very much kind of jeans and hoodies. And that's what would be expected if you're working in that environment. So it's quite casual, quite relaxed, quite laid back. And that's what she'd be looking for in employees. So if I was going to work there, I'd be trying to mirror that kind of style. It doesn't mean I need to wear the same clothes, but the same kind of level of dress. You might work in a more traditional accountancy firm where it is expected that people would wear, say, a, a suit and tie. And in which case I would mirror that particular style of dress. Um, if you are about to start a new job and you're worried about what to wear on day one, what I would be looking at is, is probably giving someone a call and saying, oh, I, I, you know, I'm really looking forward to starting on Monday with you. Um, I just wanted to check a couple of things. And one of them, is there any particular dress code? And if they say, oh, there's no dress code, I'll then say, well, typically, what would people tend to wear to work? Because, you know, I don't want to be overly dressed and too formal or I don't want to come in too casual. And people are prepared to share that kind of information with you because they want you to feel comfortable. They don't want you to feel out of place. So you can always do things like that. Pay attention when you go to interview. If you go to interview somewhere and you see everyone is walking around wearing polo shirts and chinos or jeans or something like that, you know that's the kind of style that they'd be expecting to wear. So I, I would tend to go in mirroring someone else's style. Um, now, when I personally go out and meet people and network nowadays, I tend to wear a suit and then I'll tend to wear a shirt. And, you know, I, I tend to wear a pattern shirt um, and no tie. That tends to be the look that I go for. I'm yet to go to kind of any formal meetings in a pair of trainers, although I was tempted to to get a pair of trainers that I could wear with a with a suit and a shirt, but I've not yet made that jump yet. But then that's you know that, that's again me being confident in going out and representing first intuition. I think I'd feel confident to do that. So I think very much it's driven by the organisation that you go to. And I think if you turn up on day one wearing shorts and a T-shirt and everyone else is wearing a suit, instantly people are going to look at that and they're going to start to make, even if it's only a subconscious judgment, they're still going to make a judgment about, oh, is this person going to fit in here? Because they, they're, they're wearing something a little bit different. And is that potentially mean that they're going to be thinking things differently, doing things differently? You know, are they going to upset, you know, the image that we've got as a firm? So it, I, I would always go in, attempting to echo what other people are doing and then maybe find your own style a little bit over time as i'm sure you have been i'm sure on day one at first intuition you wore a tie um i, I don't think i did but probably only because i've been in for interview i was aware of what other people were wearing um i used to go and have a look at the website i've just looked you up on our first intuition website dave you're not wearing a tie on the website no. Um, none of your team are actually. I've just looked down the, the the team that you've got bios of for your fantastic team at Chelmsford, and I've got a, a feel for everyone's wearing a, a shirt though. I can see a visible collar. It's all unbuttoned. So now I'm thinking, yeah, actually, that's that's the kind of expected norm. But great advice that it's absolutely fine to ask. It really is fine to ask. But I think appearance is more than just dress itself, what you are wearing. It's actually how you conduct yourself. I think appearance can be posture. Mm -hmm. We were having a chat off air 
we're both doing the podcast tonight standing up, aren't we? We've both got standing desks. I've got a new one in the Cambridge office, so I'm stood up at a desk. But it means that I, I feel slightly more confident, actually, stood up than I would be sitting down. Um, smiling. Um, podcast <laughs> listeners, you can't see that I, I am smiling. I'm quite a smiley person, but they are visible cues that my appearance is open, hopefully welcoming, hopefully positive in my outlook to work. I, I agree with the smiling thing. It's something that you always spot when someone smiles and it's not a difficult thing to do. Um, although I always find it incredibly hard in any kind of photo to find out how to smile because my, my voice, my face gets contorted into some expression that doesn't look like a smile. But um, yeah, I, absolutely. I think that if someone is smiling at you, then it, it, it you're right, it kind of indicates openness. Um, and I think that, again, when you're first starting work, I think greeting someone with a smile is a lovely way to say, I'm happy to be here. You know, I'm ready to work. I'm ready to learn. Um, going in and, you know, looking moody and grumpy is, again, going to give someone the impression that you don't want to be there. And if they think you don't want to be there, if they're thinking, oh, is this person really want to have this job? And in which or, or, you know, are they actually better suited somewhere else? So you're starting off by people thinking that maybe you're not happy where you are. Talked about more the physical side of your appearance. Obviously, in the virtual world we're in, part of that appearance is how you are viewed on a screen. Mm -hmm. So I can see you this evening. You can see me. We try as far as possible to have acceptable backgrounds to that. It was actually only this week after all of the calls we've been on online, Dave. It was this week I finally figured out how to change the background from the camera background to either a blurred out background or one of these artificial backgrounds. I had to pop up and take a, a call. The only room in my house that was available was my daughter's bedroom. She was not in it at the time, but I was conscious. I didn't really want to show the backdrop of a 13 year old daughter's bedroom when I was on a call for work. So I blurred it out. Little touches like that make a big difference to your persona, your um, general perceived appearance. So I love the fact it's taken you the best part of four years to of using Zoom. You know, initially you were using Zoom several times a day. We now use it at least once a week to record this. You must have you know tens of meetings every month using some kind of video calling software, and it's taken you four years to work out how to change the background. It has. I've I've been paranoid about moving the camera, making sure there's no washing visible in the background because um, I'm usually doing the calls from my kitchen. Um, my wife is still really, really paranoid that one of the, the revision videos we recorded during lockdown I did in my front room and the, the cushions on the sofa look a bit scruffy. And that's now been uploaded to YouTube and has been viewed lots of times. Just be mindful of the background. Okay, moving on. The, the second thing that I actually observe a lot, I observe a lot with students coming into our buildings. It also really gets my back up. It's just general tidiness in the work environment. Um, increasingly, when people are in offices, they will be hot desking. They will be sharing a workstation, sharing a desk. And nothing frustrates me more than turning up at a workstation and having to spend a bit of time clearing away somebody's mess. 
the dishwasher is a constant peeve of mine here with students. Um, and I've been and done it tonight, just had a bit of a tidy up in the kitchen, making sure all the cups are put away. Um, can I give you a quote, Dave? <laughs> Go on. Is, it, is this a Ben Bullman special? This is not a Ben quote, but increasingly I've been using it in slides, in presentations, in talks. I did it to a group of brand new starters at a firm of accountants two weeks ago. And the thing I put up on the screen was this, everybody. The standard you walk past is the standard you accept. <laughs> Not my quote, a quote by a chap called David Morrison, who was really senior in the Australian army that then got a bit of a gig doing lots of, of, of talks. The standard you walk past is the standard you accept. And I had this demonstrated to me a few months ago when I went into a school and I was with one of the senior teachers and she actually took some time as we were walking around to go and put some cups in the dishwasher to make sure the kitchen area in the staff room was tidied up. And I used that example to the pupils that I then went to speak to in the assembly saying, I'm sure, and I won't name the teacher's name, but I'm sure when Mrs. X applied for her senior position at this school, in the job description, it didn't say one of her job roles would be clearing mugs away and putting in the dishwasher. I've just observed her doing it because if she walks past that, that sets the example and the standard for everybody else. Yeah, I, I'm, I, I agree with you there, Ben. I, I, I still tidy up mugs. I still wipe kitchen tables down. I still wipe the surface down. And not just our home, Ben. I'm still doing that in the office as well. Um, it's not in my job description. Uh, it, I don't think it's ever been in my job description that I tidy up and clean. However, you're absolutely right. I can't walk past our common room and see a mess and not do something about it. You know, it's just impossible for me to do that. You know, I, I have got standards whereby I expect I, I, I always think that, you know, the office that I work in or, you know, the training centre that I now run, I always think that there are guests that are coming in to visit us, whether those guests are clients in an accountancy firm, whether those guests are people from another branch that have come to visit, whether those guests are students in our study centre, you know, I, I'm welcoming them into my home. I'm welcoming into a place that I spend many, many hours and I want to be proud of that place. I want people to come in and say, oh, this is really nice. I feel well looked after. It's tidy. It's clean. You know, I, I'm treated with respect when I go there. That's what I expect to happen. So I, I can't look at a space that looks horribly messy and dirty without doing something about it. Because I wouldn't welcome guests into my house if there was rubbish all over the floor. I'd make sure I cleared up before they arrived. Exactly the same in the workplace. I think it's an extension of the appearance piece, really, isn't it? It's not your own physical appearance, but it's the appearance that your office environment gives to everybody else and your part responsibility within keeping the office clean, keeping it tidy, keeping it safe. Um, let's move away from the, the way things look. I'm just seeing a comment in the chat box about fridge etiquette and thinking about using a shared kitchen space. And we have a bit of that going on with students coming into the building as well. But let's move away from how things look to what things people say and maybe the tone they say it and what gets said at work. Um, there's a fine line here, Dave, isn't there? I'm sure you've spent time talking to people about building rapport. 
Mm-hmm. What are some of the ways you would build rapport with people at work? I, I tend to look at where do I have things in common with someone? So if I've got something in common with someone, I will discuss that thing with them to to build some rapport and trust and understanding. So my go-to is always sport. So in the summer, if it's cricket, I'll be talking about, oh, did you see the test match? Um, Or, you know, did you see the football at the weekend? Did you see the golf? Did you see the boxing? Um, I I like all forms of sport, so I can talk about pretty much any sport with any person um, with a a, a limited level of of knowledge. Um, But then I'll also try and understand what what people are getting up to in their lives. So, you know, it's very common for me to go in the office and ask people what they did at the weekend. If I know that they enjoy something. So there is one of our team that loves musical theatre. So on a Monday, I will say, did you go and see a show at the weekend? You know, and sometimes it's yes, sometimes it's no. And, you know, just showing some interest in those people. Um, I always think that goes a really long way because if you are friendly and approachable and you're talking with someone, that means that if they've got a problem, they're going to recognise that you're someone that they can go to. Um, And I would hate to think that one of my team doesn't want to talk to me because they don't think that they can approach me because I'm too scary. So I, I try and break down a lot of those boundaries by trying to, you know, be approachable on, you know, normal everyday things so when there is something that's work related that they need to talk to me about they can quite happily pick up the phone or approach me in face to face and discuss any issues they're having and i think it's great to talk about your own experiences we spend so much time with the people we work with that actually we should feel confident to talk about what's going on what our interests are and genuinely be interested in other people but this is again the balancing act tipping over to the the respect of other people so actually what we talk about in the office environment also has to be done with a level of professionalism and a level of awareness of what we are actually saying i always say to myself in an open plan office environment presume anybody is listening whether that be the managing director Um, or any other of the team. So be polite, be mindful. Um, Swearing as a tutor, I very, very, very rarely swear. And I try to bite my lip as much as possible because the the tone, the style of that, it's not professional behaviour, is it? No. Um, that I that that I know confuses some people is I guess when you're at school and when you definitely when you're on the football terraces you will hate certain teams and at school if you've got someone that is a Liverpool fan and Liverpool lose at the weekend you mercilessly rib them and you know they are the butt of every single joke for a couple of days because their football team um, lost that they are um, that, that they support and you know w- with all those kind of things this you know, kind of the, the schoolyard tendency is to pick on someone if something goes a little bit wrong with something that they love whereas what i find in the best professional environments or definitely the best professional environments i've worked with is people celebrate with other people so as you talked about the other day you talked about um, your colleagues that are supporting the nigerian national team and you are supporting that team with them. 
because you are supporting your fellow, your co-worker, someone you get on with, someone you respect and someone you want to be happy. And, it, and it's a slightly slight change. So you know, I will look out for the results of a football team. So Newcastle United, I've got two people in my office that support Newcastle United. I look out for their results and I'm happy for them if they win which is very different to how things would have been if they were my friends at secondary school when I was 14, Newcastle United won, they'd be, you know, they would be the butt of jokes for several days because I knew it would upset them. And that's what you do in that kind of environment. So it's very, very different. And likewise with things like people's success, if someone gets promoted, I'm happy for them because they deserve it because they've worked hard. And, and I think it's very it's a real mindset shift change because quite often if someone does something well and achieves something at school, there's almost a certain stigma around that in terms of, oh, yeah, they're, they're a weedy swap that's, you know, working all the time. They don't have a life. It's like, no, not, not you know, since in the workplace, it's, no, they've really worked hard. They've really worked for that and they deserve it and they deserve the promotion and they deserve the extra money they're getting and well done them. And if we can celebrate other people and the things they believe in and things that they do. It makes the workplace such a, such a nice place to be. And on the flip side of that, watch the derogatory comments that you can inadvertently make about other people. Um, Dave, I'm sure like me, you, you like to have a quick nose through any professional disciplinary um, the professional bodies quite often release a monthly list of disciplinary proceedings that they've had to bring against members. We were talking about professional behaviour. Um, can I share one with you from December? Just gone, December 2020. I, I, I would love that. I love these. So these are the naughty lists that are published by all the professional institutes. They are. They are. Now, I'm not here to scare listeners, but this is um, true. You can go and find it. The ICAW, the Institute of Chartered Accountants. We've got a number of our students studying with it. A number of our colleagues are members of this very prestigious awarding body. Um, they actually called someone in for a disciplinary in December because in an email. So it wasn't said verbally. This was written in an email to a colleague. They told that person they were surprised that they were using a computer they thought it would still be more appropriate for them to use crayons and they called them a dumbass. All of this put in an email to a colleague. Um, we don't know any more context to it than that. But what we do know is the Institute took them to task at the disciplinary. They said they had broken the ethical principle of professional behaviour that I mentioned earlier. And that member was fined over £5,000 for those derogatory comments about a colleague taken very, very seriously, also taken very seriously by employers. Um, I'm pretty sure all, if not the vast, vast majority of employers will have particular policies and codes of conduct on what is acceptable behaviour when you are communicating with colleagues. Please, please, please be mindful of how you are referring to or talking to colleagues at work. Just not acceptable, is it? It's, it's, there's, there's no need to talk in those kind of terms. And it does smack of, you know, a, a bully in a playground. Yes. And that's, 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 that's what it sounds like to me. It sounds like someone is 10 and they're mocking someone else in their class because they didn't score very well in a test. It's, it's not the kind of thing I expect professionals to be, not the kind of language I expect professionals to be using. Also just some basic politeness, the use of please and thank you, actually greeting someone, saying good morning to them when they, they walk in, 
all of that stuff actually doesn't go unnoticed. It feels like it's the smallest thing in the world, but I promise you it is noticed when it is not there. It is very apparent, actually. And you might feel, oh, that doesn't get noticed. It really, really does. Dave, I'm sure you have walked into rooms where some people have said, morning, Dave, how was your weekend? Other people have made a, a visible conscious effort to maybe not acknowledge your presence. And I'm sure you would say the the, 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 the former one is the way you would prefer to be treated. Yeah, absolutely. I, I I always try and make a point saying hello to people when I come into the office. Um, I always try and go out of my way to say hello to students when I um and I say students in the workplace. Um, and it, it is something that I I have spoken to people before where you know maybe they've come into the office and they haven't been you know greeting people and they haven't said hello and they haven't seemed to be happy. And I think when you see that contrast in behaviour, I can tell maybe that someone needs a helping hand. So if someone comes in and they get straight on their computer, head down, they're burying themselves in work and they're not saying anything to anyone, I'm concerned that person may be overworked if it's out of character with them. Um, if you go into work, don't interact with people, head down the whole time, then it could be quite easy for people to miss maybe the fact you're overworked or, or the fact that you do need help because it, it's quite difficult to pick up on things if you're don't have the confidence to say it. So I, I think that you're doing yourself a favour if you do set a standard for the way that you enter the office or the way that you interact with people. And then if you don't meet that standard, it's because something is probably going on and, you know, you probably would appreciate someone asking the question, you know, is everything okay? Are you overworked? Do you need help? You know, is there anything I can take off your plate? So I, I think that, yeah, pure, purely from the point of view of it may help you later on down the line, but... You know, also it is spotted. You know, I, I you know, I tend to, you know, recognise when people are, um, when people are saying hello in the office. But one thing that made made a huge difference to my early career is my first boss made a point every night when I left of saying thank you, and it made me feel happy, and it made me go away thinking that I got done a good job, and um, you know. He didn't pay me huge amounts of money. I didn't get massive pay rises or bonuses or things like that. But I felt really happy and assured working there because my boss said thank you every day. And that that goes a huge way, I think, if people do offer their thanks, you know, for, you know, that's a good day's work today. Or, you know, well done, you finished that job. Or, you know, that bank reconciliation, you, do, you got it to the penny and you've never done that before. Really well done. One final one, because I'm conscious of time. I think the modern business world has got more distractions than it's ever had before. I'm sure when you started work, Dave, you wouldn't have dreamed of walking into your boss's office, reading a novel visibly in front of him with a, a book <laughs> in your hand. No, never. Um, I, I, I do like reading but I would put my book away before I arrived at work or definitely before I set my computer up. I wouldn't be walking around with it whilst I was at work. You probably wouldn't have had your, I'm going to try and aid you now, your your Sony Discman on with big hand headphones walking into your boss's office. No, never. Um, but we've got the world of smartphones. And so I've got my smartphone on my desk now. I'm sure yours is probably within... Touching distance, Dave. We're both holding them up. Podcast listeners, you can't see that. Um, they are there. 
just because they are there doesn't mean we need to be visibly distracted by them. They are a tool. They're actually a very useful tool in the modern business environment. And the world has evolved. The world has changed. And the world of work is no different. But we need to be present in the moment and we need to show visible signs that we are engaged and listening. And some of those visible signs are not actually, I'm more interested in my phone than what's actually being said by the person in front of me. Um, headphones, a controversial one, Dave, because I do use headphones for work now. If I'm on a Teams call in a, a busier office, I'm going to put my headphones on so I can fully engage in the call. Does that necessarily mean I need to be wearing my headphones at my desk all the time? If you're trying to have a conversation with someone, I think it's good manners to take your headphones out. So if I go into Costa and I will walk around town with my headphones in, listening to music or listening to a podcast, and the moment that I have to have a conversation with them, I will take them out. And the reason for that is I think that even if I'm not playing, even if I press pause or I've asked Siri to stop, then if I've got headphones in my ears, people will think I'm listening to something and I'm not focusing on them. So I will take them out to, you know, say I would like my decaf Americano, please. And I will keep them out until I paid the money. And then I might put them in when I've stopped my interaction with that person. I would never dream of speaking to a client with headphones on. I wouldn't dream of speaking to um, to anyone that works at First Intuition with my headphones on because, you know, despite the fact that I run the office, I don't want someone that comes to see me thinking, oh, is Dave listening to something else while he's trying to have a conversation with me? So despite the fact that nothing may be on, I will take them out when I have that conversation. I think that's good manners. Um, I do know, and I've got a number of colleagues that work really, really well and efficiently and like to have a set of headphones on, play some music while they're working because they can get down and get the work done and they can get in the zone and focus whilst listening to music. Personally, I can't do that because I end up just singing along to the lyrics and getting distracted by the lyrics. So the only way I could do it is if it was completely instrumental, which means that I've got to start listening to a lot more jazz. Um, and then I probably could listen to music. So I can't do that, but I know some people can. Um, I do think that in a classroom, um, there's a real danger. I know some people like to listen to music while they go through questions. My my the thing that I think is really dangerous about that is, yes, it may work well for you. Yes, you may be able to work effectively whilst listening to music. Yes, it may reduce the stress that you feel when you practice those questions by by listening to music. I understand all of those things. The reality is the most stressful you're going to feel is in the exam. And if you don't have that safety blanket of being able to put headphones on and listen to some music while you're doing the exam, the stress is going to feel even worse than it would if you haven't had that practice. So I, I would worry a little bit if people are reliant on using headphones and listening to things whilst they're studying. In general, for me, take the headphones out if you're talking because it makes it look like you're distracted. But I don't know what your thoughts are, Ben. You might think differently. No, I, I agree 100%. I'm thinking back. I get the training most days. And when the, the conductor comes around to check my ticket, I always take my headphones out so I can talk to them. I just feel it is polite. I think it's quite rude that you want to listen to somebody else, not the person in front of you. I get it. I see it with my daughters. 
They do the old trick of, of one headphone in, one headphone out. Yep. I just think we need to be mindful. I am not saying I would ban headphones in my classroom. I certainly wouldn't. And if people want to listen to some music when they are working by themselves, I'm actually fully on board with that. But if somebody comes up to me, I expect the courtesy of them taking their headphones out before they try and engage in a conversation. So, so be mindful. Be mindful of your phones in general. They are a really powerful tool for good in the, the workplace but they are also a, a visible sign of distraction. And quite often it comes back to the ethical view that we talk about perception, mm -hmm. necessarily that you are distracted. It's how does this actually look to somebody else? And if you give the perception that you're not engaged, you're not listening, that's the issue. So you're nodding at me now. And I know that you've just listened to what I've said and that you've understood and you are in agreement with it, which is a brilliant way of showing you were engaged. You were taking on board what I was talking about. I found it really interesting to talk about these things, Dave. It continues to evolve. I think my closing thought would be common sense prevails in 99% of the situations I'm in, I think just apply a bit of common sense, take a moment then to think how this would be looked at, how this would be viewed. Would I be confident explaining why I dressed like I had, why I'd done what I'd done to somebody else? And actually, students, you'll get it right. You will get it right. Just take that moment to think though. Dave, I'm going to leave you to do the wrap up for this evening's podcast. Thank you very much, Ben. Um, I've really enjoyed tonight. I think it's been a really, really cool, cool discussion. Um, if you haven't already, could you please subscribe? So it does mean a lot to us if you could subscribe to the podcast. Um, if you have subscribed, can you do one of two things? Either share this with someone who you think will get a lot of benefit from it. So um, share it with friends, with family, with colleagues. Um, and if you have already shared it with people, could you leave us a review? So either just go onto your podcast um, service and leave us a review. Um, you can just leave a few stars. Or if you do want to write something, that would be absolutely amazing. And if you want us to cover anything in future episodes, please email us. Our details are in the show notes. And we'd love to hear your ideas for things we can cover in future episodes. 